off. Hold on a second. There we go. Here we go. Let's sing Angels We Have Heard on High.
Thank you, Tim. If you haven't heard us, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, that, that video. I'll tell you this in a second. This is a class. 
Amen. We're going to do two songs now. Uh, the first one I want you to sing with me, with me, and the second time I want to have you sit down, we're going to do a song from our musical. If you have not been to our Christmas musical uh, last night, uh, then uh, we encourage you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Um, but we're going to do one of the songs from there. It's called Messiah, and Jessica's going to sing the solo on that. And we're going to do the, our, best, our best imitation of a choir up here. So uh, if you, if the, the 11 o'clock, we'll actually have the choir. Uh, but for you guys, it's going to be us, uh, us five members of the choir plus Jessica. But anyway, uh, so let's start off by singing Joy to the World, and then we'll go into the song Messiah. Will you stand with us and let's sing together?
seated. for sending your precious Son to be the Messiah, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. 
open our ears and open our hearts and open our minds that we may hear from you today. May your Holy Spirit speak to our spirits in words that teach us who you truly are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Good morning. Good to see you today. Good to be with you. I will um, add my um, welcome and uh, invitation to you to come see the uh, Christmas musical tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, it was great last night. I missed the second half of the SEC championship game to see it, and it was worth it. I don't know if it had been worth the first half, but it was worth missing the second half to see it. So it was great, uh, and I heartily encourage you to come. Six o'clock tonight, bring someone with you. A great celebration of Christmas. I'm sharing a series of sermons on the, who God is. Uh, we just want to think about God. What better thing could we think about than who God is? And I'm sharing this series basically on the Trinity, that the Bible teaches us the nature of God is that he is three in one. He's three persons, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, in one God. Hard for us to wrap our minds around, but it's worth for us to think about. Uh, one of the reasons that I'm sharing this series of sermons, because it's important that we know our God. I want to share an introductory verse with you from Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, that says in the last part of it, the people who know their God will firmly resist him. This is a prophecy of false teachers finally fulfilled in the Antichrist. This is ultimately a prophecy of who the Antichrist will be. And with flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. So if you know God, you'll be able to discern error. And you won't be deceived by the devil or by the Antichrist. That's one of the reasons it's important to know our God. So as I've shared with you about the Trinity, I've shared with you, one, there's one true God, two, Jesus, uh, separate from the Father, but he is God, three, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Now today we're going to put it all together, sort of the three in one. And I want to share with you that after the time of the New Testament in church history, one of the first things that the church wrestled with was trying to understand just what we're understanding today and in this series in that what is the nature of God? How do we affirm both his threeness without going too far and becoming three gods and his oneness without losing the three persons of the Trinity? And you see, I believe that in every generation, Satan attacks some aspect of the truth. And the church is engaged in a battle defending that aspect of truth in every generation. Um, and we look back on some of those struggles and say, well, why were, they, why were they all fighting about that? Well, it's because that's where Satan was attacking. For example, in the days of the 16th century, in the Reformation, it was about the doctrine of salvation. There was a struggle, how are you saved? And Martin Luther and Protestant Reformation recovered the fact that we're saved by the grace of God through Christ alone, through faith alone. In the 20th century, that place where Satan attacked truth was the doctrine of the Bible. And uh, there was a struggle for, are we going to believe the Bible? And now, of course, there are churches that have gone away from the Bible. But there has been a battle to recover a belief in the infallible Bible. Now, in the, what's, what's the place G, uh, Satan is attacking in the 21st century? 
It's the doctrine of man. It's who people are. Are little babies valuable? What about gender and sexuality? Is that a God-given thing? And that, why do you hear so much about that in the 21st century? Because in the 21st century, that is the place where Satan is attacking the truth. And so that's what we have to defend. Well, in the earliest days of the church, what they wrestled with was this doctrine of the Trinity. It's sort of settled for us now. We don't hear that much about it, but we need to understand that so we don't repeat the same errors again. So in the third century, as the church tried to describe what we believe about God, there was a teacher named Sibelius, and he taught what we have come to call modalism. It's an error. It's a heresy. M-O-D-A-L-I-S-M. And that is that there's one God, just one person, and he just appears in three different modes. Hence the name modalism. First is the Father, then is the Son, then is the Spirit. So I've got a low-tech visual aid to, to illustrate it for you today. I've got three hats, three pieces of headgear here. I hesitated to use this uh, low-tech visual aid for two reasons. Number one is because I'm going to look goofy when I put these hats on here in a minute. That's one reason. The other reason is I'm illustrating the error, not the truth, by this. I don't want you to, uh, I worry that you're going to remember the error, not the truth. I don't want you to, you're saying, we, I know how to explain the Trinity. We had this pastor explain it with three hats. This is not how you explain the Trinity, okay? So Sibelius said that there's only one God, but he appeared first as the Father, then as the Son, then as the Spirit, sort of like a, a play with the same actor playing three different roles but he can only be on stage in one role at a time. So in act, it's like wearing three different hats, he said. There's one God, he just wears three different hats. The hat of the Father, then the hat of the Son, and then the hat of the Spirit. So what Sibelius taught was, so first we had God the Father. He wore the Father hat. And he came on stage and he created everything that there is. And he guided all through the New Testament. And then he went off the stage and he took off the Father hat and he put on the Son hat. And then at Christmas, here came God the Son. And he was born as a little baby and he grew up to be a man and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead and then he ascended back into heaven. And he went back into heaven and put, took off the sun hat and then he came back for act three of the play and it's the same person, but now he's wearing the Spirit hat. And so now it's the age of the Spirit and at Pentecost the Holy Spirit is poured out and He comes into the hearts of believers and that He lives in us and gives us gifts to serve God. But He's the Spirit. But He's only wearing three different hats. This is not what the Bible teaches. I want to show you what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus to see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit on the stage at the same time. Not one at a time like this. This is called modalism. That there's only three, one God in three different modes are just wearing three different hats. There are still churches that teach this today. Oneness churches or Jesus only churches teach modalism today. You go from Tullahoma to uh, Estill Springs, there's a church on the right uh, there that's a oneness or Jesus only church that teaches that. In Manchester, uh, United Pentecostal churches are modalistic churches, uh, not Pentecostals. Pentecostals 
Uh, that's very confusing because they're a denomination that believes in the Trinity. But United Pentecostal Church, 1914, broke off from Assemblies of God over this issue that they denied the Trinity, believing only one God who, who is in different modes. In Manchester, if you go down the old Tullahoma Highway, uh, where the stock barn used to be, and they've built a lot of new houses now, and just right past that is a little white church, Christ Apostolic Church, and it's a, it's a modalistic church. It doesn't believe in the Trinity. It teaches what I've just shared. I, I've met the pastor. He's a nice guy. I've had lunch with him, but but what they're teaching is not what the Bible teaches. Is what I want to show you this morning. It's error. So uh, uh, there are even today these churches that still teach this error of modalism. And this is why most analogies of the Trinity fail because they, a lot of them will, will, as we try to wrestle with how do we understand the Trinity, you see God's in a category of one. There's no direct comparison to God because he's so different. He's so beyond all of us. What we always try to do is put something in a category and an analogy, you know. Like if you go to the zoo and you see an animal, what is that? I've never seen that before. Well, it's sort of like a bear, you know. Well, you you, you, can't, you want to put it in a box, right? You want to figure out what is God's in a category of one. So like most analogies, what, maybe you try to understand the trendy. Some people said, well, it's like H2O. H2O can be solid liquid and gas right well, maybe that helps us to understand the trinity it does a little bit but you see that's modalism because water is not solid liquid and gas all at the same time it's it's just in one time or the other god's beyond that why do we believe this is wrong let's look at the life of jesus and let's just look at the holy spirit in the life of jesus let's uh, we're gonna look at five events in jesus life let's start with the birth of jesus what the Bible tells us about his birth in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord, notice that, the Son of the Most High, that's a title for God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The angel said, Mary, uh, what is to be born in you is going to be a miracle a virgin conception, it's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit who will come on you and the power of the Most High, that's God the Father, who will overshadow you. Do you see all three persons of the Trinity acting in concert at one time in the conception of our Savior? 
the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who Genesis 1-2, we saw in Genesis 1-1, the first verse tells us there's a God in the beginning God. Genesis 1-2 says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and as God initiated creation, the Holy Spirit carried out that creation. And so now you say, well, how could a virgin give birth? Well, the same God who brought life out of nothing when he created brought into the womb of a virgin Mary a body for the preexistent Son of God, Jesus, to enter. And so the Holy Spirit came upon her, and the power of the Most High, the Father, overshadowed her. And placed within her was a body that Jesus would be willing to leave his glory in heaven and come and inhabit in that fetus and begin the plan of salvation for us, all three persons of the Trinity there. Let's go to a second event in the life of Jesus. This little baby grew up to be a man, and the Bible says that when he was 30 years old, he came to where John the Baptist was baptizing. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Now, John the Baptist was his cousin, just a few months older than he was. God sent him to be the forerunner. He was preaching a baptism of repentance. It was preparatory. It wasn't the final Christian baptism that we have. It was to get you ready for the coming of the next one, the Messiah. And so John was calling people to repent and to be baptized that their sins were to be turned away from. And Jesus came and was baptized. He didn't have to be baptized because he was a sinner. He's the sinless son of God. But he did it, it says elsewhere in the Bible, to fulfill all righteousness. He set us an example and he identified with us. And so it says Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you, I'm well pleased. All three persons of the Trinity are here at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is baptized and he comes up out of the water. I picture him still standing in the Jordan River dripping with that water off of him. And he looks up to heaven and he prays, doesn't tell us what he prayed to the Father. And as he prayed, in the form of a dove, the spirit doesn't have a body, but he came in a representation so that people could see uh, that uh, Jesus was being authenticated in his ministry as the Son of God. And the spirit came down in the form of a dove and alighted upon him. And then there was a voice from heaven. The Father says, this is my Son. That's a quote from Psalm 2-7. He's fulfilling the prophecies of the Son of God. In whom I, am well, whom I love, in him I am well pleased. That's a quote from Isaiah 42-1 about the suffering servant. God is identifying him both as his Son and as the human servant who will die. He is both of those in one. This is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And all three persons of the Trinity are there at his baptism. When I first came here as pastor um, at First Baptist Church years ago, we had a custodian on our staff who was a member of a oneness church, who uh, was a member of a Jesus-only church. And, uh, uh, and I talked to him one day and I said, tell me, if you believe that, when Jesus was baptized and the voice spoke from heaven, this is my son, who was talking to who? Because if there's only one person wearing these hats, who's talking to who here? You get it? That there are three persons of the Trinity, three distinct persons here. And the, the Spirit came down, and Jesus prayed to the Father, and the Father spoke 
to him and said, this is my son. Look in his ministry at his relationship to the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. So after his baptism, he left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit. Now after Pentecost, because Jesus has died and risen and ascended to the Father, you and I can be full of the Holy Spirit. But he was the one filled with the Holy Spirit. And he left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And he was tested there. So even being led by the Spirit doesn't mean you'll be exempt from some testing in your life. And it says in Luke 4.14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the holy countryside. And in Luke 4.18, he preached in the synagogue in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. You see from those verses that Jesus, during his life, experienced what you can experience now because of him, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit living within him. Look with me at the prayer life of Jesus, and we see his relationship to the Father during his ministry. Jesus prayed. Isn't that amazing? He was God. And yet he was in such a relationship to the Father that he prayed often to the Father. One time it says he got up early in the morning and went out and prayed. God talking to God who can understand that. But even the Son felt the need for the fellowship and dependence upon the Father. I want to read to you just two of his prayers from the last 16 or so hours of his life. Okay, First of all, let me read you his prayer in John 17. Sometime after the Lord's Supper, the night before he died, Jesus, somewhere before he got to Gethsemane and prayed, he prays, maybe still in the upper room, maybe on the way, Jesus prays this prayer. John 17, 1, after Jesus said this, he looked up toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Oh, you see that the knowledge of God is eternal life. Means not just knowing facts about him, but when you come to know God in a personal relationship, Jesus says this is is eternal life to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And he, sa he says, he continues in verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Before the world ever began, the Father and the Son we're together in a glorious state. And Jesus, when he came to earth, he, his, that glory was, was sort of hidden in his earthly body. Charles Les, Wesley wrote the Christmas carol we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The second verse of it says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity. His glory was a little bit veiled in flesh, but he's praying here, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And when he ascended to the heaven, he experienced that, he shared that glory again. Now let me share one more verse. It's a whole long prayer. I don't have time to read it all. Let me read you one more verse from this prayer in John 17. What a great verse. You need to get this, especially if you've experienced the death of a loved one 
who believed in Jesus. You need to hear this verse. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus said, Father, I know I'm going to, in a few days, ascend back to your presence. And, I, and I'm going to experience the glory I had before the creation of the world. And Lord, I want these disciples to see that. I'm going to bring them with me that they can see the glory that I had. I, I want that for them. When you experience the death of a loved one, here's what you know. They're experiencing the glory of God that Jesus wanted them to be with him and to see. The glory that Jesus had before the foundation of the world. Your loved ones are seeing, if they were in Christ, they are seeing the glory, they're with him, and they're seeing the glory that he had before the creation of the world. Now, this verse also tells us what God was doing before the creation of the world. You ever wonder that? You know, God created this world at a point in time, but he existed for all eternity. What was God doing before he created the world? Well, this verse tells us. This verse, Jesus says, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. For all eternity, the Father's been loving the Son, the Son's been loving the Father, and the Spirit's been loving the Son and the Father. There has been fellowship, community, love for all eternity. That's how we can know that God can love us. He's been doing this for all eternity. He's been loving the Son, this verse says, for all eternity. And there's been community and fellowship. And this verse helps us to understand why God created this world and this universe and us. You ever had that, wondered that? Have you ever had one of your kids say, why did God create everything? Say, I don't know why he created everything. And some people give the answer, well, maybe God uh, was lonely and he wanted other people. No, he wasn't lonely. He was in eternal fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't need us. He didn't create us because he needed us. Why did he create us? Maybe it's the same reason because a married couple decides to have children. Why do you decide to have children if you're a married couple? Maybe several reasons, but one of them might be, you know, we've got a love relationship and, and we want to share that love and we want to expand our family and we want to spread our love. And I think that's why God created, not because, man, I'm lonely. i got to create some people here. I'm getting bored. No, for eternal fellowship. It's, they're in community. They're in fellowship. They're in love. But out of that love relationship, they expanded that family. They shared that love. On a, it's a natural thing to do when you love, that you give that love. And so God created us, and he loved us. It wasn't something new that he had to learn how to do. Well, I hope I can love these uh, people I've created. No, he had been loving the Son through all eternity. And now he expands that love, and he made you and he loves you, and it's not new to him. He's been doing it for all eternity. And one day, he says, despite all that's been messed up in our world, he says, those who will, those who will believe, Father, I want them to be with me and see my glory and experience the love that I had with you since before the world began. Wow, that would blow your mind now. If you just, just think on that a while, it'll blow your mind. 
I'll share one more prayer from the prayer life of Jesus. Only a few hours later, a very different tone and mood to prayer, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then Jesus the Son began to wrestle with, he knew it all along, that's just human language, but he began to wrestle with what was the immediate thing that was going to happen to get them to that step of glory and love for all eternity, and that was the cross. And so Jesus, as he called his disciples to pray, and as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, let me read you just one verse from it in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And the Son, co-equal with the Father from all eternity, yet submitted his will to the Father because humanly he was going to be tortured and die. And yet, he said, yeah, not my will, my desires, but your will be done. That's a prayer for you and I in our struggles as well. One more, one more episode from the life of Jesus. We could look at many others. After Jesus died that day on the cross, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. And in one of those appearances, he shared with them what we call the Great Commission. Let me read to you Matthew 28, 19, the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And he said to them, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the most important Bible passages on the Trinity. Note that Jesus did not say baptize them in the names of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you might expect that because there are three. He did not say baptize them in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He said baptize them in the name, singular, because there's only one name, the name that's above every name, the name of God, and the Father shares the name God, and the Son shares the name God, and the Spirit shares the name of God. They're all the eternal I am. There's one name. He didn't say in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. He said baptize them in the name, which throughout the Bible is a synonym for, for, for Jehovah. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oneness churches will not baptize in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. They baptize in the name of Jesus only. Hence the name Jesus only churches. They'll baptize only in the name of Jesus. But Jesus told us to baptize as we do in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And even though they're co-equal, note that order, it is usually the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because the Father sent the Son and they sent the Spirit and that's the order, and if you stay with us till next week, you're going to see that it works back. The Spirit will give glory to the Son, and one day the Son is going to hand everything back over to the Father. It's going to work backwards. But he says to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the greatest story in the world. It's the, it's the meta-narrative. It's the mega-story. 
and you will find joy and you'll find meaning and you'll find eternal life when your story intersects with this story. Because if you will come to know Jesus in a personal relationship by repenting of your sin and putting your faith in him, then you will know the Father. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And when you know God, then he says, my spirit will come and fill you and be in you and give you power and lead you. And when you know him, he says, one day you're going to be with me and see my glory. He says, I can't wait for you to see my glory. The glory that I had before the world was created. And I'm going to share with you forever the love and fellowship that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have shared for all eternity. I want you to be with me and to see my glory. The Father has loved me with since before the creation of the world. Today, would you say, I believe that. I don't understand it all, but I believe that. I believe there's one true God who sent his son at Christmas, born of a virgin, to reveal the Father to us, to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead, to give me hope and life and meaning and purpose. I believe that. I receive Jesus. I follow him. Would you stand together with me? I want to invite you right now as we stand and sing. To, if that's your desire, would you walk down one of these aisles and meet me here as a way of saying I identify as a Christian. I become a follower of Jesus. Two weeks from today, if you choose, you could be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as we have baptism a couple of weeks from today. Today, you could start that faith journey with knowing God in a personal way. Maybe you want to join our church or come for prayer. This is your time to respond to God as we sing. Oh, God. 
Be seated for just a moment, if you will. Just want to share some things with you before we pray and we go. Uh, if you are new to our church, hope you'll be a part of a connection group. That is our small groups where we gather right after this service at 945. If you have new here, go to the Welcome Center. They have a list of all the groups. Greeter will be glad to show you a list and help you find one that you want to try and escort you there. That's the way to get connected in our church. Hope you'll be a part of that. I want to just take a moment to share with you about some of the opportunities for fellowship and for worship in December. There are a lot of opportunities like that. This week, these are in your bulletin or in the newsletter you can pick up at the, at the Welcome Center. Uh, this week, there's a senior adult luncheon for senior adults to fellowship. Middle school and high school Christmas parties are this week. Tonight is the uh, Christmas musical at 6. Next Sunday night, uh, the kids' choir musical at 6 o'clock. And then just looking ahead, in case you're traveling and you don't get to hear me say this the next few weeks, December 24th on Christmas Eve, Saturday, we have at 4 and 6 p.m. two identical uh, candlelight Lord's Supper services, uh, some of our most special services and 
4 o'clock or 6 o'clock, invite you to bring your family and come. Then on Christmas Day, Christmas Day is on Sunday, we'll have one worship service on Christmas Day at 10 a.m. No connection groups on Christmas Day, one worship, so get up, do whatever you do, then get out of the house and come worship on Christmas Day, 10 a.m. Invite you to come and be a part of that. As you go, you have the opportunity to worship by giving. Some of you give online, but if you give in person, there are offering boxes on the wall as you exit on the wall by the doors. Thank you for your giving, uh, and as we honor God by the giving of our tithes and offerings. Let's uh, uh, pray together. If you have questions about what I've shared, want to talk, I'll be at the Welcome Center. would love to talk further with you. If you're a guest, we're so glad you've been here. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we marvel at your immensity. We marvel at your love and your plan at Christmas that you have loved us so much that you have come to us in the person of your son and that you have come to be our savior. And oh God, we worship you. We do adore you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in your name we pray. Amen. Excellent, excellent job, everybody. Yeah.